Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking today about the 2009 Identity Fraud Survey Report that's been released by Javelin Strategy and Research. And here to talk about that report is James Van Dyke, President and Founder of Javelin Strategy and Research. Jim, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks. Uh, glad to be here. Jim, you've got your, your report out in its fifth consecutive year. It's, it's probably the most comprehensive survey produced on the topic. What are the big headlines this year? And I guess my follow-up to that is, what kind of surprises did you find? Yeah, this is the most comprehensive and rigorous study on the subject of identity fraud, by the way, which is a study that we believe in looking at financial services and payments research of all kinds, that this, this is absolutely the most misunderstood topic that, that exists. On, you know, on how people manage their financial affairs, whether that's institutions or, or consumers. We had a number of interesting findings this year. First of all, uh, for the first year since we've been uh, doing this work, which, which we picked up on the Federal Trade Commission's original study in 2003 and expanded that methodology, for the first year since uh, we picked up on that study way back in, in, in 2004, uh, identity fraud has reversed course and gone up. So I think the industry overall... Uh, was surprised at the, the whopping nature, the whopping size of identity fraud back in the early part of of, of the new millennium. But uh, you know, we we beat it back strongly. And what we've seen though is that in a tough economy, criminals have gotten more desperate. So it's reversed course, and for the first time, it's going back up. Wow. So Jim, if you sort of look at it as the classic good news bad news scenario, what's the bad news in this year's report? Well, the bad news is that. Uh, the consumers are spending more time resolving their affairs, which results in banks losing relationships and and having to deal with uh, uh, you know ill will on the part of consumers. And uh, you know this is probably going to drive spending back up. It's you know, for example, some of the the implications of this are that the average consumer now spends 30 hours. The average fraud victim consumer, I should say, spends 30 hours resolving a case of identity fraud. And by the way, we define identity fraud as any time there is a transaction committed in another person's name that is using another person's identity without their authorization. So we, uh, you know, written into law by Congress and um, and the FTC is this, is there on identity theft definition? We don't call it that, but this is a broad category that includes everything from one-time fraudulent uh, uh, transactions and, for example, a credit card account to complete account takeovers and new account establishments. And in these cases, you know, where victims are spending 30 hours having to resolve their affairs, of course, they tell everybody they know, they have a lot of bad feelings, they've, they've invested specific time, and they'll never forget about it. As a result, uh, the impact is so dramatic that 15% of all consumers uh, leave their current credit card provider, of all victims, again, leave their current credit card provider, 17% leave their current uh, bank or credit union, and 40% of people that are victimized through a debit card get a new relationship. Wow. Okay, flip side. What's the good news from this year's report? Well, the good news from this report, uh, from this year's report, is banks are doing more than ever. It's, uh, you know, and they're, they're beating back fraudsters. You know, if it had not been for great industry efforts that we see efforts of in spades in this report, and we're talking about it a lot in uh, to the popular media as part of this release, is that we, we see clear evidence of banks doing a better job than years before. Translated, that means with more fraud cases uh, in this tough economy, and we think the two are correlated, 
that uh, if banks weren't doing the good job that they're doing and the security vendors that market solutions to banks and issuers and other institutions and merchants, then we would have seen much, much higher losses. So it's, um, so for example, consumer out-of-pocket costs. This year went down to just under $500. That's the amount of actual dollars that, that the consumer uh, was had their load lightened by once they became a fraud victim. And, you know, $500, some people say, well, zero liability laws and, and most banks reimbursing consumers who have, a say, a DDA fraud experience, since most fraud is from a DDA or a credit card account. Uh, why are people paying anything? That just doesn't seem believable. But we know that number is absolutely reliable because in the extreme cases, people are victimized by friends, so-called family members, uh, other people that they may not want to press charges against. Uh, there are crimes that go on for a long period in which people just find say, I give up. I, I, I just I can't unravel this. You're asking me too many questions. So that average fraud amount, I'm sorry, that average consumer cost is going down. The average fraud amount, that is the amount of, of crimes the criminal at least initially got away with, is going down. And amidst the disturbing trends, we see that there are fewer, case, fewer cases where the criminal was able just to have their way, if you will, with changing all kinds of individual fields within an account in the case of the course of committing fraud, like pins, addresses, and, uh, and other personal information like that that criminals like to do. Now, Jim, one of the things that struck me in the results was the, the headline that women are more likely to be victims of identity fraud. Why is that? Yeah, you know, along with the, the finding that fraud is on the increase, this was probably the, the other uh, most surprising finding. Just didn't see this one coming. Uh, you know, going along with this uh, with this trend, we dug deeper into the data and did our cross tabs and all those things that research companies do. That what we saw was that women are um, that their fraud cases linger for a longer period of time. They're not using electronic monitoring methods, uh, which uh, like like email alerts and even in, in some cases mobile alerts. They're not using. They're not taking advantage of technologies that actually can make people safer to the degree that men are. And we just don't think that they're uh, probably being educated and aware and, and potentially uh, uh, just as, uh, as self-reliant as they could be as men who might be more comfortable with technology, just from what we see in other research data as well. So there, we need to get people comfortable with the advantages of using new technology. And, and uh it's even interesting to see how this shows up in online shopping. Men use online shopping more. Women use more in-person in purchases more. What does that have to do with it? Well, through electronic methods, you actually have more control. If you're a properly educated and, and equipped customer to use the right tools and you know what you're doing. So we, we think there's a, there's a real behavioral disparity. Criminals are t have taken advantage of it, and we need to reverse it. That's interesting. Now, in the course of this conversation, you've mentioned banking institutions a couple different times. What do you find to be sort of the, the big news for financial institutions, and what do they need to be watching most closely now? Well, you know, they need to be uh, um, watching for multi-channel crimes. It's easy to just obsess about the electronic crimes, for example. You know, very well-intended CISOs can think about identity fraud and you say, oh, that means I need to step up against cyber attacks and, uh, you know, the, the latest form of phishing and vishing and, and everything else, you know, these impersonation crimes where that have a form of social engineering and all that. Well, you know, there's an awful lot of low-tech crimes as well, and low-tech crimes tend to have higher dollar impact than, than high-tech crimes, typically because the perpetrator is someone closer to you. 
So our point is be agnostic, you know, uh, and be aware of all the channels because, that criminals use because they do use all the channels and they don't have this bias toward technology. They use them all. There's more attacks electronically, uh, but there's more successes and more dollar, uh, higher dollar damage for the traditional crimes. Look at them both and realize that cross-channel crimes we've been reporting on for several years is on the rise. That is, you steal data through one channel and you use it in another. Maybe the, the theft channel was uh, the tradi a traditional one and the, and the transaction was electronic. That's often the case, but sometimes it's the reverse. Steal the data online and then write a paper check. Who knows? Um, also, you know, when we go into this a lot in our banking safety scorecards, we look at comparing the features that banks have. There's a lot of very specific mandates in there for banks that can improve their safety. Uh, working with the willing customer is very important, as I touch on just a couple of areas. One, there's this fallacy that says uh, completely unsupported by data, even though I, I hear people all, quite frequently, they'll say things like the following, consumers don't want to be involved in their own security. They just can't take the time. They can't be effective at it, even if they are willing to get involved. They just can't do anything right. They can't follow instructions. You know, research data just doesn't support any of that. In fact, it speaks just the opposite. People will leave your institution for another one if they're not allowed to be involved in their own safety. They can be just as effective in great technologies like neural nets. And, you know, why buy an expensive technology that tries to mimic the mind of the account holder when you've got an account holder that's dying to get involved in their own security? Our point is use the best of great back-end security technologies, and there's some great ones out there, with the best of a consumer willingness because one out of two fraud cases are first detected by your customer, and if you don't let them get involved, they'll go somewhere else. Jim, did this survey uncover any new data on the insider threat, or is that something you didn't deal with here? We did deal with this. Insider threats, you know, they're, they're among the toughest to study, and yes, we did go into this area. But uh, one of the challenges of, this, of the area of insider fraud is that if information was exposed by, say, a bank or maybe even a merchant employee or somebody else, that it's probably a little less likely to, to have more information known about it. So, yes, we do ask about it, and there are cases where victims know about it. It shows up in our data to show the percentage of cases of crime attributed to that. Having said that, though, this is one in which uh, it's, it's a little more insidious and when uh, uh, people are, when perpetrators are found out, probably doing a, a complete postmortem with that person as part of the terms of, uh, of, of you know, agreeing on jail time and that sort of thing is, is particularly vital. And industry needs to work together then to compare data from those interrogations. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, the other constituency that strikes me is the government. You know, you've got a captive audience, it would seem, in Washington right now with a new administration that's going to be very very much paying attention to these issues. So I guess the question is, what's the news to the government regarding potential legislation, regulation about these issues? Yeah, that's another great question, you know, because the financial service industry is doing a good job. Even though crime is rising, they're, they're holding down the amounts, they're holding down the consumer costs, even though you have a much more motivated uh, criminal element because we're dealing with tough economic times. And, uh, and, and so banks are, are taking some good steps, and yet we we saw in our data years ago uh, early, uh, um, early n uh, alarm bells, if you will, to uh, financial institutions for things that later on became regulations. So people need to pour into the results of the study, say, what actions do I need to take? This study, the scorecards and others, uh, all help people do that. And there's 
back-end technologies and the, the customer-involved technologies that can be that can be applied. There's just there, there's dozens and dozens of them. But uh, you know, one example of how we predicted uh, uh, what later became a regulation that we're now de- all dealing with was address changes. You know, the red flags ruling. We saw several years ago before it was even talked about that criminals were using address changes to uh, as part of their uh, perpetration of fraud. And we also saw from another study that they weren't notifying uh, consumers at the original address when an address had been changed. So, will we see more regula- regulatory action? Well, I think we see a, we have a pro-regulation environment right now in general. Obama's already said we can expect more regulation as part of his campaigning effort. Will that extend to this? Uh, I'm not going to be a proponent of, of a lot of big changes in this because we see a lot of good work going on. But my advice would be to uh, regulators, make sure you look at the data because, uh, for example, when the first FFIC two-factor uh, guidance was being proposed, all it talked about was the Internet and it didn't talk about phone channels. Right. So let's make sure we're basing it on factual study. Jim, one last question for you. If I could ask you for a bottom line, what are the key risks that financial institutions and their consumers need to be watching out for in 2009? You know, it's uh, multi-channel fraud and ignoring the customer uh, are, are, are the biggest risks that are out there. So multi-channel fraud, criminals will uh, often use multiple channels, and so you need to have an approach of, of trying to make sure you're not blind to a criminal that stole the data through one channel and used it into another, but that you're integrating all departments that are fighting fraud as well as trying to mitigate it on the back end through technologies that the consumer will never see and shouldn't see. So good technologies like fraud fraud filters, neural nets, and behind-the-scenes authentication and, and device fingerprinting and all those other areas, great stuff. Uh, also, keep working with your customer. They'll go somewhere else if you don't let them. Uh, just as important, they can make a difference in the battle. And so you, if you've got this highly motivated free resource that's at one of your current customers, why turn them away like so many providers do? We see banks are doing a good job with this today, and we just encourage more of that. Jim, as always, thanks so much for your time and your insight today. Thanks, Tom. We really appreciate it. We've been talking with Jim Van Dyke, President and Founder of Javelin Strategy and Research. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.